This is the Apartment Building Investing Podcast with Michael Blanc, episode number 94. Let's do it. You're listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast, where we'll talk about all aspects of buying apartment buildings with a special focus on raising money from others. And now, your hosts, Michael Blanc. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the show. My name is Michael Blanc. I'm really excited that you're here with me to learn about apartment building investing you know, one of the most popular shows ever are the ones that talk about someone quitting their job with real estate, specifically with multifamily. And today I have Andrew Campbell on the show, and I'm really excited for him to share his story because, look, that's that's what we want. You know, we're thinking real estate because we want to quit our jobs, we want financial freedom, and I'm trying to provide you with case study after case study that's not only possible, but providing you a roadmap with how you can do it as well. So I asked a lot of intricate questions about mindset, how they first got started, what challenges they had, and what they did to overcome that. And that's exactly what we're going to do here with Andrew on the show here in just a bit. So this show is sponsored by my course, The Ultimate Guide to Buying Apartment Buildings with Private Money. It's the most comprehensive online training course on the planet because it focuses on raising money and analyzing deals. The two things that are the most core important thing about getting started with apartment buildings because that course will help you do your first deal. And if you have listened to me any time at all, you'll know that the first deal is the gateway to financial freedom due to the law of the first deal, which says that you do your first deal, you'll be financially free in three to five years. And in most cases, it's much sooner than that, mostly one to two years. So do your first deal. The second and third will follow in rapid, almost automatic succession. And the ultimate guide course will help you do that. To find out more, go to the website, themichaelblank.com forward slash products and check out the ultimate guide course and hope to see you in that course. All right, so let's get right into the show with Andrew Campbell, share his story of how he went from full-time job to full-time investor, and he calls it how he was able to you know, live by design. Let's get right into the interview now with Andrew. Andrew, welcome to the show today. Hey, Michael, thanks for having me. We're looking forward to talking to you. Yeah, that's awesome. Give us a little background on yourself. Not too much because we're going to get into it, but just overview. Yeah, native Austinite, native Texan, which doesn't happen a whole lot in Austin these days, but I've married, got two kids. We're expecting our third in July. So looking forward to that. I mean, I'm a, a full-time real estate investor, entrepreneur. We're focused on multifamily value add in the growing Texas markets. Yeah, you got a real great story. I can't wait to get into it. Rewind the clock a little bit here. When and why did you get into real estate? What was going on with you at the time when you were going, ah, something's not right in my life. I need a solution. Oh, I've got it. It's real estate. What was going on at the time? It was kind of a big slap to the face really that got us into it. And and I think it really starts with like, what is your big why? And for us, it was about two, 10 years ago. My dad, I was living out of state. I was working a corporate job. Um, I got a phone call. My dad had had a massive brain hemorrhage and I, I moved home basically and took care of him for nine months. And I was 27, 28 at the time. And really just kind of reflecting on life, I ended up having to quit my job and to kind of help take care of him and realize there had to be more, you know, and I wanted to create more flexibility in my lifestyle. And I wanted to create some passive income and just have time to help take care of him, but also live more the way I wanted to live and spend more time with my kids that I didn't have at the time and a wife that I didn't have at the time. And it just that challenged a lot of kind of preconceived notions about what success looked like and what you wanted to get out of life. And Ultimately, it was that that kind of led us down the path to eventually buy a duplex. So at the time, your dad got sick. Did you quit your job at that point or, or take on vacation or were you working remotely or how did you how did you work that? It was kind of a gradual transition. I mean, obviously, I flew home that day. So he's probably not going to live the night. I spent two weeks, just said, hey, called job. I'm, I'm calling in sick, vacation, whatever you want to call it. 
ended up going on like an FMLA program. Then I did some part-time work and they were fantastic to me and really kind of eased the transition. But it was pretty apparent to me and to them and everybody else, like this is now the most important thing in my life is helping him get back as much as he could. And was like, I'm not coming back. I mean, I, I basically went back twice, sold my house one time and signed paperwork the other. It was a bit of a gradual transition. They were really good to me, but you know, pretty apparent that I was going to stay back in Austin at that point. So is that where you started thinking about what the future would bring for you? And why was your job, the current situation so unacceptable to you at the time? It wasn't, right? I mean, I was on the path of, gosh, I, I went to college, I got a degree, I was in my career field, I was working in advertising agencies, having a lot of fun doing what I what I felt like I wanted to go do and you know would do forever, kind of the classic, have a great career and, and be successful and be VP of some company at some point or whatever. So I didn't realize that that's not what I wanted until this all sort of happened. And it really challenged what I thought I wanted to get out of life. That's interesting. Most people don't come to realization until they're like in their 30s, right? You're like going, huh, maybe you had a little more time to think while you're, you know, at your, sure. your, your dad's or something. Absolutely. I mean, a lot of time to sit in hospital rooms and think and read books and just like, okay, what do I want to get out of life? And what am I going to do here? And I don't want to necessarily repeat a lot of what he had done. I mean, he was the corporate guy, super successful CFO role. 57, he has a massive brain hemorrhage and he's never been the same. So at that point, you decide, I got to do something different. I can't continue on this track. Yeah. Why did you think real estate? Like, I mean, why did it even occur to you? Uh, I'd always been interested in it. I had read, you know, Millionaire Real Estate Investor, you know, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I was aware of, I hadn't really dove into it, but I'd always been interested in it. And I had a friend, I had a mentor, a buddy of mine that was a realtor that had five or six duplexes. And obviously in that nine months, I mean, I'm having a lot of really deep personal conversations with friends and just questioning life and everything. And I knew I, it was something that was out there and maybe it was a career path. Maybe I wanted to be a realtor. You can kind of construct your day how you want to. And as I got into it, read some of the books, he said, look, come, here's a duplex that I'm selling for a client. He had a few. I promise you'll make money on it. I'll kind of show you. And I was like, all right, let's try it. So 2011, we bought the duplex, used his systems and contractors and property management tools and everything to kind of draft off what he'd put together. And, and at that point, it was just, it was off to the races. Interesting. So did you think at the time that real estate was a solution to your problem of flexible, of time control? Long or term. were you just long term? Yeah. And what strategy were you thinking that you would use to kind of achieve your goals? You mentioned a duplex. Were you thinking like, did you have a plan, a game plan at the time? What was that? Yeah, it was pretty simple. It was passive income. And it was, you know, at some point we'll buy this and, and we'll learn it and we'll scale it, you know, meaning we'll buy another duplex and we'll get to 20 doors. So we'll get to 40 doors. And that's what's our freedom number. How many duplexes do we need to get before we could quote unquote retire, play golf, live on the beach? And it was a 15, 20 year plan, right? And maybe not that long, but I wasn't trying to go do something today that was a new career. It was let's create passive income and start down that path. And frankly, it was. I didn't know what I didn't know. Here was a, an easy entry point because my friend was like, I'll help you. Yeah. You were literally thinking long term. You weren't thinking, I'm going to do this in the next couple of years. I'm done. You're thinking 10, 15 years. Oh, 100%. Yeah. It was, it was a long term huh. plan. That is amazing. So you started, you bought this duplex. And what did you do from that point on? The very next month, we bought a fourplex. And four months later, we bought another fourplex. And it was sort of, after those first two, you know, we started out, we managed everything ourselves. You know, one of the things I really wanted to do was number one, save money, but also want to learn the business, understand, okay, this is a big investment. How does it all work? How do I manage tenants and relationships? And it just became like crack. And I joke with that friend still today. I was like, he's my crack dealer and he got me addicted. I mean, real estate is like crack. And it was just for me, 
every time we did a deal, the thrill of the hunt, finding something that worked, and then seeing the whole business model come together, watching dumb luck, right? We're buying properties in Austin, Texas in 2011, 2012. It's just exploding. So stuff's doubling in price in two years. And we got really lucky in that sense, but it became just this obsession where I had at that point, two full-time jobs. I still had a day job. I got back into the workforce, but I was also doing this every waking moment when I wasn't working. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And you're doing obviously residential, even though one could say you're actually already starting to do multifamily. Yeah. Were you purposefully staying under that five unit mark or why were you at the twos and fours? Yeah, we were utilizing, and I say we, my brother and I were kind of doing this together. So we were each getting residential loans. You can get up to 10 of them. So we were getting 30 year fixed rate loans that anything for and under is residential, as you know. So that was a part of our strategy for sure. We could each go get you know 40 units if you get 10 loans at, on a fourplex. So that was a part of it. And then some of it was just, that's what we knew at the time, right? That was the model. And I didn't... Commercial financing, that's a scary term. You got to go talk to a bank and it's just a different thing. It was somewhat strategic and somewhat just rinse and repeat what we knew. So was it going pretty well while you were doing this? It was great. I mean, you know, we saw things appreciate. We saw cash flow come in. I mean, the way we were able to buy more properties is we'd collect enough cash flow from the properties. We'd get a little bonus at work. We'd go throw together another down payment. I mean, we saw it for sure happening. I think we saw the whole, the business model is not complicated. Here's a property, you buy it, you fix it up a little bit, you treat your people right. They stay, they pay their rent, getting paid four or five ways. Like I was like, aha, total light bulb moment. And it's just, how do we go get more of this? So you were, you guys were saving pretty good. Remember, you guys were, your brother and your, you were just saving everything you could and, and buying duplexes and quads with it. Yeah. And every piece of cash flow, we just poured back into the property, just set up completely separate bank accounts, different banks. Yeah. It's like, all right, we got another 50 grand in here. Let's go get another one. Yeah, that's awesome. So at what point, because obviously the story ends with multifamily, otherwise yep. we wouldn't be here. But <laughs> at what point did you start thinking multifamily and acting on it? I think a couple of things, you know, we came to this fork in the road of we're running out of runway, we're going to get hit our limit of 10 personal loans. So we're going to have to get commercial financing. So what's our strategy going to be? You could go get a commercial loan on a 10 unit, you're going to get a floating rate, and it's going to be a short 20 year am and balloon payment. So we started to question things and look at how do we continue to grow this. And so that was a, a driver. The other piece was just really my passion for and, and interest in the business. So if I go back to the original why we want to do this, lifestyle flexibility, be able to hang out with my kids that now I do have, spend more time hanging out with my dad, taking care of him. Like I saw that I could go do this and realize a lot of those initial dreams, but I could do it sooner than that 15-year horizon. So it was a combination of both of those that really said, look, let's go look at bigger properties. We've understand the business model. It's the same thing on a four unit or on a collection of you know 76 units that we've got. Just put them all together that it's actually going to work a lot better. So you were self-managing these at the time, right? Yeah, we were. Yeah, was that a lot of work or not a lot of work? It was less and less work as we got kind of systems in place and had good contractors and people and kind of doing the whole business via text message, right? We're working a yeah. full-time job. You'd get a text message, you'd farm it out. I mean, it was we figured it out, but also figured out that wasn't what I wanted as a career path. I don't want to be a full-time property manager. So you guys were like, well, we can actually scale this faster on the one hand. Number two, we're running out of loans. So there's actually a real reason you couldn't continue what you're doing. Yep. And so you guys decided to go a little bigger. So what did that look like? What did you guys do next after that? I just started a couple of things. I had a holiday conversation a few years ago with my wife, you know, reflect on the year, what we we're going to do, the year coming. And she just sort of said, look, you're kind of a miserable bastard. Like all you want to do is this real estate stuff. 
you just need to go do it. So I had a really supportive support system in place and an awesome spouse mm-hmm. who said, look, go f- chase your dreams. And then, so it was just a lot of education at that point. You know, I felt like I knew the business model, what I didn't know and what I hadn't done was raise money, the legalities around, you know, putting together a security. And my number one rule is I didn't want to go to jail. And then just sort of fear the limiting, yeah, limiting beliefs yeah. <laughs> of, can I do a hundred unit, a 200 unit? That's huge. Like that's a commercial real estate, private equity thing. How do I do that? And I think so. Read some books, started talking to people, networking, and realized it's not that complicated and it's not much different than what we were doing four units at a time. All right. So a lot of people are caught up with this, but specifically, there's a comfort zone on the one hand of, oh my gosh, there's this 100 units. But really, the comfort zone is linked to, I don't have the money, I can't raise the money, right? That's yep. like the, I mean, if I had $5 million in a bank, then 100 unit wouldn't look so scary anymore, right? So it really comes down to money. Yeah. So you, you struggled with that. What did you do to overcome that for yourself when you said, you know what, I can do this. We can do this. Some of it was a gradual process because I'm a self-admitted real estate junkie. My friends, that's all we talked about. Every time we went out to lunch with somebody, I was never talking about my corporate job or what's going on. It was like, you're always talking about real estate. So I had been, in some ways, crafting my sort of story and my pitch for a long time, but they were also very aware of what I was doing. And I started floating the idea of, hey, are you interested in it? What if we went and kind of looked at some bigger deals and started analyzing bigger deals? And that helped certainly with putting you know sort of the story together. And then I had a friendly reception because it wasn't foreign to people as I was coming to talk to them about, hey, I want to go do bigger things and raise money. Do you want to partner? Because that's all I talked about. Yeah, exactly. But it sounds like you were surrounding yourself with people who not only supported you, you can do this, or they actually did it. Correct. Yeah. I mean, it was a good combination. And some of that was finding people, seeking people out that I knew were active in the space, you know, had friends that were the friend that got me into the business, basically. And I still kind of, you know, he's still one of my mentors. And we joke now, like the shoes have flipped a little bit, you know, and I'm doing bigger deals and he's doing duplexes and retail brokerage stuff. But I had other friends that I'd reached out, hey, you're, you're doing commercial real estate. What does commercial real estate even mean? What does it mean if you're an industrial broker? It has nothing to do with being a, a multifamily operator, but just start talking in that space and surround yourself with people doing that versus doing tech consulting that I was doing. It just sort of organically built a network and the confidence to really go in and say, okay, we're going to go do this. We're going to go you know, put a flag in the ground and, and say, we're chasing big deals. We're going to raise money. Talk about a time uh, where you got your first investor to kind of go, I'm in, give me a deal. Or maybe you already had a deal. Talk about that. How did that, how did that, go, that, that go and how did that feel? I remember very vividly. And as you're talking about it, it was a guy that, that I had done a lot of business with in the sort of tech consulting side of things. And you know, we had, he, I knew he was into real estate. We had talked a lot. He had a couple of Airbnbs, obviously I had my rental portfolio. So we talked about it quite a bit. And I said, Hey, I'm going to go do this. And he's like, no, I'm in, like, I'll do it. And he's like, $100,000. So I left, I called my wife. I was like, come on, I just raised $100,000 at lunch. Like, this is amazing. And it's just, it's a snowball. Like you get some confidence and, and you get one investor and then another one, you get one deal and the next deal. And it's, I mean, you'll never forget that first investor though. And it just, it's like a snowball effect. And like your confidence starts just increasing so rapidly. Once you have that first investor, you're like, yeah, I can do another one. hundred percent, hundred percent. So you guys decided to do multifamily. What was your first deal? Talk about that. How, from the time that you decided, you said, I'm going to go to multifamily, how long did it take you to do that first deal? I mean, from that sort of kick in the pants conversation with my wife, where she said, you got to go do this and quit your job. And I mean, that it was probably, it was a two-year process. You know, did a lot of education, kicking the tires, networking. From the time that I said, I'm going to do it, 
until we actually closed the deal was probably 11 months. You know, and in that time, a lot of networking, really working hard, building relationships with brokers. During that time, I found a partner that I didn't know I needed even when we started. So I'd say, you know, call it less than a year from saying we're going to go do a big deal to actually getting a big deal closed that we were the pilot arm. That's amazing. Talk a little bit about that deal. You know, what was it? How'd you find it? How big was sure. it? Yeah, yeah, it was a deal in San Antonio. So it's you know market that we had circled being in Austin and the kind of sur- the strategic Texas markets. It's a place I spent a lot of time building out relationships with brokers, introducing myself to them. Here's who we are. Here's what we're looking for. Being proactive, being professional, being responsive with them. The deal itself was 192 units. It was about a 16 million dollar purchase. We ended up raising like six and a half million dollars for it. So it was a big leap from you know doing them two and four at a time, but it was also a very methodical process that we put a lot of time and energy into getting to that point, you know, over the course of a year to actually get it closed. That is amazing. Now, why did you guys kind of swing for the fences a little bit? I mean, 192 units is a pretty big one. I know you did a bunch of quads and you had, how many units did you guys have before you went for this? So we had 76. So we still have 76 in our kind of personal portfolio. But yeah, so we went from that to 192. Yeah. Talk about that mental transition, right? Because if someone does a duplex or a quad, now you guys did a bunch of them. So I right. get that. So, but talk about what are you guys thinking? You're sitting there chatting and go, what should we go for? Yeah, I know. Let's go for 200 units. <laughs> that sounds like a good idea. How did that happen? Part of that education, right? So a big part of it for us was property management. We need to interview property management companies. We knew we we're going to do third-party management. That's one of the big appeals of going big multifamily. There are awesome professional property managers that handle all this stuff. So in that interview process, tell me about your portfolio. What other properties do you manage? But it's pretty clear they don't really want to touch anything less than 100 units, maybe 125 even, because it operates better at a bigger scale. So that kind of helped dictate, all right, we're going to make the leap. We know we want to kind of fly over. I'm not going to do a 20-unit deal, for example. They help drive us into that a little bit. And then you start doing the, the math and you're doing the reading and you say, look, it's more efficient kind of the bigger you go. The scale we were looking at, we kind of decided, all right, there's sort of a 100 unit minimum, let's say 200, 250 unit maximum. We really want to stay underneath institutional type buyers, that kind of in-between space that we feel it's kind of where we're playing. And the more we were talking to brokers, the more properties we walked. I mean, we probably underwrote 50 deals, probably walked 25 apartments in San Antonio before we got this one. So it was I was getting more and more comfortable every time we got onto one and walked it and said, you know, so whether it was this one happened to be 192 units, if it would have been 145 or 175, it was all kind of the same at that point. And it was less intimidating. I mean, it's you hear that number and it's, oh my gosh, it's 200 units. The more intimidating part was the equity, to be honest. Well, that's right. And that's what we're talking about. So you mentioned in passing a partner, right? First of all, how much money did you have to raise for this deal? Six and a half million. Okay. So that's that's a lot from... And were you guys raising money for your duplexes? No, we did. We had always self-funded that. So, yeah. So you went from not raising money to all of a sudden raising a god-awful amount of money. Yeah. So everybody wants to understand how you did that. First of all, how did you do that? How did we raise six and a half million? Yeah. Uh, just network our ass off. And again, a process that we had started five years ago since I'd been talking to people about real estate, but just I have a goal that I keep today of I want five meetings a week with new people face to face. So in and around Austin, people that I don't know meeting. So just being out talking to people about what we're doing, building out a list, being consistent, communicating with them. And it wasn't something that we said, oh my God, we got a 192 unit deal under contract. Now we have 60 days to go raise money. We'd been preceding this for a long time and strategically talking to people about 
getting a sense of if they were interested, how much they might be able to invest. So it was still intimidating to actually go do it. But it wasn't something that we just started the day we got a deal under contract. All right. So you've been doing this for a while. You've been talking about real estate for a while. You've been raising money. But you also are very intentional about the number of people you're meeting. Five per week, that's a lot. Mm -hmm. And you've been doing that for a while. So it sounds like you've been doing this even before you found this 192 units. You started this process long before then. Yeah. I mean, like I said, from when I'd say we really pressed play and said, we're going to go do this business intentionally to go find big value add properties, I'd call it 11 months. Probably took us eight months to get that property under contract. So in that first eight months, meeting with five people a week, talking to brokers, touring 40 properties, underwriting 70 deals. I mean, there was a ton of work and effort that was going into that. And it was my full-time focus. I quit my job to go do this. It's as uncomfortable as that is. I need to go do it. I know I can do it. It was a full-on assault of 70 plus hours a week to get it done. But that's kind of how we did it. 70 hours per week. That's a lot. So you're, you're hustling, right? It's not like $6 million fill in your lap. Now, yep. you also mentioned a partner in passing. Why? What's the purpose of a, a partner? One of the first things that I realized in my kind of education process was this is a team sport. And if you think about all the different roles that you need to go execute, let's just take finding a deal, never mind actually executing your business plan, but you need to be underwriting deals. Right, You need to be networking with equity partners, with investors. It takes a lot of time to meet with five, six, eight people in person a week. It takes a lot of time to underwrite 70 deals. It takes different skill sets and personalities to do both of those things. So I realized pretty quickly I couldn't do this all. And you know, there are huge companies out there that have asset managers. They have acquisitions, investor relations, all these different roles. You can't wear all those hats, in my opinion, and do it kind of at the scale and velocity that we wanted to go attack it. So I realized I needed to find a partner. And then it just sort of dumb luck fell into my lap. We met at a real estate investing conference. I had a conversation. He went on a podcast similar to this. We just started talking a lot and realized we were doing the same business model in the same markets. We thought about things the same way. And we just started trading. Like He'd send me a note. Hey, what do you think about this neighborhood? He was looking for deals in Texas. Well, I'm here and I'm, I grew up here. So I know that my area is... And we realized we had super complementary skill set. So we said, why don't we not compete for deals? Let's go partner up and see what happens if we attack this thing together. And that really, that was a pivotal moment. Just the coincidence of finding him, of us both coming together, realizing we both were looking for the same things and the same type of assets, but we had this really divergent skill sets that would, would marry well together. That's cool. So partnerships are cool in theory, right? But they're tricky to work. How are you guys splitting your roles? Like, for example, the ideal partnership is you do all the work, I bring all the money. Very clear lines. Everybody knows what you're doing. Why is this partnership working for you guys? How are you separating the roles and responsibilities? Yeah. So before we talk about that, what are the commonalities? And I think number one, both what I would just say is like intense hustlers. Like we were both out there and there was no doubt when I was talking to him, like he was going to go be successful. He's going to do deals. He had been doing deals. He knew people already. I think he felt the same way about me. So there wasn't any lack of like, oh man, he's not going to pull his weight or this is going to be like, I'm going to be doing all the work. And then it just sort of had organically has happened. And we've defined them more as time goes on. I mean, now we're working through our second deal and the roles are a bit more clearly defined, but just naturally from the get-go, He's in Los Angeles. I'm in Austin. We were both looking for deals in Texas. So I checked the box. I'm boots on the ground. I always joke like with him and, and other people out of state, like I'm going to be pretty pissed if somebody comes into say San Antonio from out of state and like out hustles me for a deal. Cause I feel like that's like my backyard. I got 
an advantage because I'm local and I can get there and it's it's tough to come into town every so often and and sort of out hustle me. So I was boots on the ground. I was relationships kind of acquisitions, right? Making sure we're seeing all the deals on market and off market. I was really focused on kind of putting all the equity together. He's an engineer. So he's got construction management, which that piece we hadn't even talked about. After you close on a deal, you got to manage it. You got CapEx budget. You got to stay on top of the property manager. He's done that piece. He's managed big construction projects. But he also had a lot of investors and equity partners. So we kind of said, look, let's figure that piece out. We'll both come in and the goal is six and a half million bucks. Let's go get it done. There wasn't any like pointing fingers just saying, well, you go get some and I'll go. It was all hands on deck. Let's go get that done. That's fantastic. Yeah. That's awesome. So man, what's next for you guys? Keep doing deals, you know, keep being really strategic and disciplined about finding deals that work, but we want to have the capability in 2018 to execute a thousand units. So for us, that means systems in place, the equity to go execute on that. We want to go do, I mentioned a second deal. We've, we've got a deal under contract right now in San Antonio. That's a $20 million purchase price. So it's, you know, but it, it fits the story's great. The underwriting checks out. So we want to we want to go do those deals and continue to grow this business, continue to put the systems in place to allow us to scale up and, and I think ultimately look in other markets outside of Texas. So what's your life like now versus before, right? I'm listening to you and you're freaking working hard, right? Yeah. It's not like you're not working hard. In fact, a lot of us are still working hard. We're like financially free, but we're still working our ass off. <laughs> and we're like, on the one hand, we have to be careful at that also because we're entrepreneurs, right? We always want to do more and do better. So we have to be careful about that. Yep. But is there anything different about your life? Do you like his life better than when you were working for a job? And, and if so, why? What's different about it? I call it life by design. I work for myself. Right? So I have, I mean, you can tell here I'm, I'm at a home office. So I've got all of everything I need here. But my, my four-year-old's down the hall, you know, playing with mom. Um, so I, I have the flexibility to create the life that I want to create and move things around and time shift in a way that you can't do when you're working for somebody else. I have the outlook on life that I can go do and achieve anything. I'm not relying on anybody else. It's my partner and I to go drive this business forward. I think, frankly, my biggest challenge is sort of making sure that I maintain balance in, in the personal life because you're right. I mean, it's the list of things to do as an entrepreneur. It never ends. So I could easily stay up until 2 o'clock every night getting stuff done. And I do that too often. I need to dial that back some. But my life from a pre-checking out of corporate world to post and where I am today, it's it's night and day different. The hardest decision you'll ever make is leaving that comfortable corporate job. I mean, I had a very good job. I was making 200000 bucks a year. To, to walk away from that was super, super uncomfortable. But it's the best decision that I've ever made. And it's something that you just... You can't express and explain like how much more freedom you have, even though you've never worked more in your life. Yeah, it's very interesting. Talk about the last day from, from work, right? Because I know you, you hemmed and hawed over this stuff. You had a bunch of units at the time, but you were making a lot of money and you probably weren't making that much passive income to replace $200,000, right? But talk about that day, that last day at work and you came home. What was that like? <laughs> it was great. You know, it was certainly something we'd thought a lot about, talked a lot about, and had been preparing for. I mean, so while I'm working, I'm having all these meetings, I'm laying the groundwork. So again, it's it's a smoother transition. We certainly had the backstop of, some rental income and some savings, but it was also the sort of self-imposed pressure of, okay, you need to go figure this thing out. You've got a family to feed. You've got to go. We gave ourselves basically 18 months to go figure out if this thing was going to work. And if not, got to go figure something else out. Because I mean, I, I was I was pretty intentional about kind of burning the bridge behind me, right? I didn't want to go back into that environment. And I knew that I was ready to go out on my own in some capacity. 
I knew my passion and interest was real estate and doing bigger deals and being the value add space. So it was, I was just excited and it was a relief because I felt like now my full time job was no longer in my way. I mean, at that time, it was just like taken away from what I really wanted to do. And every minute I didn't spend on that, I spent on that, I didn't spend building out my real estate business. Yeah, that's very interesting. So from the time that you and your wife decided you're going to go big and you quit your job, it was 11 months until you had to close that first deal. Now, you were told me earlier that you were working on like a 15, 20-year retirement plan. Mm-hmm. So in that same time point where you guys said, okay, I'm going to start doing real estate so I can retire in 15, 20 years. From that time, how much time actually really went by until you quit your job? I think it was from when I said, okay, we're going to go do this full-time, it was about six months. So six months of paving the road, of getting ready to go, really ramping up my conversations with people to get it going. It was about six months. And then I, and then I pulled the plug. I was there from the time you did your first duplex. I mean, okay. from the time you did your first duplex. From my first duplex, it was cut four years. That's pretty amazing. So, yeah. So it went from 20 years to four years. To, to four years. Now, is there, is there anything that you think you could have done to accelerate that even further? I mean, if, if you can like, have a conversation with your younger self, Andrew, what would you tell yourself? When would you do it? Yeah. You know, I, I think there's three things that I go back and think about. Number one is go to, talk to your 25-year-old self or whatever. Start buying property now. Right, like it's never the wrong time to start buying real estate. Long term, it's going to appreciate. It's going to go up. So, so start now. I wish that I would tell myself, don't be afraid of the value add. My first few deals, I was kind of buying renovated things. I didn't want to have to mess with them. They were kind of turnkey. The first time we bought something with some hair on it that we remodeled, you're like, oh, the light bulb goes off. Like, oh my gosh, that's really where you go create value. So look for the value add, and that's a big shift in mindset. You go from checking things off your list because they need to be renovated to like you delete the renovated stuff is no we no longer look at. So that was huge. And then I think the last one is just not being afraid to go get other people's money. That's going to scale your business and it's providing value for them, right? You're not taking other people's money, you're partnering with them and you're bettering their financial situation as well. So I think it's those kind of combination of those three things I would go back and tell my younger self or any of your listeners like those do those three things and you can conquer those three fears and you'll be very successful. Now, when you first got started, you were obviously surrounded by a support of people and other mentors. Mm -hmm. And no one told you this. Andrew, go raise money. Andrew, do the value add deals. Like, what could you have done differently? I don't know that I would do anything differently. You know, like that my path has been what's gotten me to this point. And the fact that I started and I took the action, I bought the duplex, realized that I liked the real estate, realized I understood the business model. Then I figured out the value add piece and we started buying hairier and hairier deals. And then we figured out the raising money. Like it's kind of led me to this. I think it just the message would be anybody could go do it. It's the path that you've been on. I talk to people all the time. It's like, well, how do you get into it? What's your story? You know, what's your background in real estate? You don't have to have a 76 unit portfolio to transition and go raise money, do multifamily, but craft your story. I mean, I'm a marketing brain. I've got an advertising degree as my undergrad. Like that's I'm always thinking about that. So what is your story and how can you craft your unique story and your strengths into the ability to go raise money to go you know, look for deals? Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I, I mean, my situation, I didn't have anyone tell me any of these things. Like I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and then I was just kind of flailing around, you know, and no one actually said, oh my gosh, yeah, you can actually raise money. That was pretty wild to me, right? So had someone said, you can actually get multifamily right now, you don't have to spend five years flipping houses. <laughs> At first, I would have said, no, there's no way you could do that, right? And now, I wish someone would have told me that. And no no one did, right? And so, right. that was a little frustrating to me. And I'm like you, I don't regret anything because it makes me the person that I am now. 
But man, if someone sat me down and said, Michael, you know, instead of spending the next five years flipping houses, why don't you start educating yourself and raising money and get right into multifamily? And that would have been 2008 or nine. Holy moly, right? Right. That's a totally different thing. And sometimes it just takes us longer to get it. Well, let me ask you a question. Would you have believed as you're out there flipping houses and somebody said you should go do multifamily, would you believe them? Probably not. Not in the beginning, right? But if someone's very adamant about it, and I mean, you start raising money because people around you were like, yeah, I've done it. It's no big deal. Right. And it gives you a certain confidence that, oh my gosh, mm-hmm. well, there's people actually doing it. Well, that guy doesn't, I mean, he's pretty smart, but he doesn't seem smarter than I am. I mean, I'm pretty good looking, right? So, you know, whatever, right? It's like right. all of a sudden you start believing this. And I think sometimes you just need someone that believes in you. This has happened to me as well in my pizza restaurant. Someone says, you know, you can do this. You can do this. And I was like, well, I'm not so sure. Or someone says, hey, I believe in you. And you're like, oh, maybe I can do this. Yeah. And so I wouldn't have believed him at first, but it really depends on who the person is telling you that. Yep. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So what's your parting advice to someone seeking financial freedom of some sort? We want to control our time, right? Because we have a hard time figuring out how do we provide for our families and control our time? That's like the the biggest conflict that we have. What's your advice to someone who wants that? And let's say they don't want to wait 15 or 20 years. They want maybe a little sooner. what, What would you advise them that they should start doing? Well, I mean, clearly, if they're listening to this show, they're interested in multifamily, at least exploring it. Maybe it's as a passive investor. Maybe it's it's trying to go do and sponsor deals. I can tell you, just jump in. Just start. Maybe part of your story is you start out as a passive investor and you learn and you see how it's done and then you can transition in. But but taking action, you know, I think that's obviously what keeps people from being successful is trying stuff, taking risks, you know, being comfortable, being uncomfortable. And realizing that not everything is going to work out, but you can fail forward. You can learn from all of your experiences and, and figure out life is pretty short. And I think that goes back to my big why all the time. You know, going through that with my dad and realizing I don't just want to be on the sort of hamster wheel and look up and be 55 and be like, oh, hopefully you know, everything's been okay so far. Take ownership of stuff and take some risks. Yeah. You had a pretty strong why. I can tell. Yeah. And I, I think if you have a strong why, going back to a job, it's just not an acceptable situation for you? 100%. I mean, one of my weekly goals is to go have lunch with my dad once a week. It's a lot easier to do now, having flexibility of time and to be able to schedule that versus I wasn't able to do that work in a corporate job. It just, you know, too busy. You can't can set up your meetings when you want to. It's, it's everything. Yeah. Hey, Andrew, I appreciate you sharing your story with us. What's the best way for people to connect with you? I've had a lot of fun here, Michael. Our company is called Wildhorn Capital. We've got a website that's www.wildhorncap.com. My email is just andrew at wildhorncap.com. Feel free to reach out. I'm a real estate junkie. I love talking about it. I love helping people. So, uh, you know, look forward to, to talking with folks. Awesome, awesome man. I'm, I'm glad you were here sharing us and inspiring us. So thanks again. Yeah, thank you very much. Andrew called it life by design. I love that, right? He's still working hard but it's on his terms. He controls his time. He controls what he does when he wants to do it. I love that. And that's what we want to do with, with multifamily and real estate in general. We do with multifamily is that life by design allows us to do that, to live on our own terms. Now, the key lessons I took had from were several, three of them, I think. And that was from listening to Andrew is raise money now, right now. Don't wait till you have a deal. Start raising money now from people and then have a goal, you know, meet with an X number of people per week. And his was five. That's a lot, right? I start with one potential investor each week and you're going to do very, very well. And notice also that he's hustling. 
right? I mean, he's you're talking about 70 hours a week doing this. That's a lot. Okay, it's a little more than I would I would recommend. Okay, but the point is this: he's hustling. He also talked about you know analyzing deals and making offers. It's a numbers game, right? So you're going to have to analyze deals, visit properties, and that will also build rapport with brokers. Okay. He also mentioned uh, a support team. I think his wife was a key component of that, but also networking with others who were supportive of him and maybe spending less time with people who are not. That's kind of key as, as well. And he talked about partnering. Okay. In his case, he found, you know, a partner in crime. They were both committed to the same cause and they kind of went together and it's, you know, it can be kind of lonely doing this thing. So, so maybe consider partnering. So those are some of the, the key takeaways. So hopefully that was helpful for you. And by the way, I love more of these stories. So if you're a full-time multifamily investor, I'd love to have you on the podcast. So go to the michaelblanc.com right now and click on Ask Mike. There's a contact us link and just contact me. You can talk to me over Facebook and LinkedIn. It'll find me, okay? So just let me hear from you. Also, if you love the show, go ahead and subscribe so you get all the new episodes and leave a review on iTunes. I love that as well. One thing you can do first if you want to, if you're curious more about multifamily is you can download my free ebook. It's called The Secret to Raising Money to Buy Your First Deal. It's on themichaelblank.com forward slash ebook. And that's yours for free. Kind of get you started of how that the key skill of raising money is all about. All right, guys. So I appreciate you guys. You guys take care. I'll see you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast with Michael Blanc. For more free podcasts, articles, and videos, go to themichaelblanc.com. There, you can also download the free ebook, The Secret to Raising Money to Buy Your First Apartment Building. Till next time.